0: super excited this morning. Um, We've been in a series called Men On for about the past three weeks. And um, today we're going to close that thing out. Um, Thank you to every single man that has used your time, your resources uh, to do the mob challenge, hashtag mob challenge. There's still time. Uh, What we're trying to do is we're trying to take all of the best and the brightest ideas that have men in our organization, men in our congregation, because every man that was here was, you weren't built by yourself. Like regardless if you had a daddy or not, like there was somebody that placed something in your life that helped you build. And the one thing that we understand based off of last Sunday's sermon is that the one way that I become a better man is when I build a community around me with men that can do the same thing. Where we understand that there's no such thing as a piece of the pie. Like, you, like there's no piece of the pie. You have your own pie. I don't know about you guys, but on Thanksgiving, there's this thing called a, a, a chocolate silk supreme pie from, um, from Village Inn. Yeah, you don't get pieces of my pie. If you want a slice, I'm going to buy you a pie. Because if you touch this pie, we're going to fight because it has my name on it. Somebody shout that has my name on it. You're going to get the revelation before the end of the day. What God has for you is for you. We say that all the time, but I want to make sure that you understand something. Like, if you never go and claim what God has for you, nobody else can touch it. Like, it's, it's, it's vacuum sealed with your DNA, and it, and it only opens once you realize who you are. So thank you to all those men. We're going to give you until probably uh, Tuesday or Wednesday to, to, to use the hashtag and, and share something that, that has changed your life. Men, how many of you, you know that your life has been changed directly because it's what somebody said to you? In a moment of high, low, left, right, in the middle, somebody that cared enough, didn't care about your feelings, looked you in the face and said, look here, son, <laughs> look, like we got to get this together. Come on, somebody say, keep it together. The second thing is that church opens next Sunday. We are no longer operating as Chick-fil-A. We are going to operate as the Church of God in Omaha. So what that means is that you should be preparing yourself to come back. We're, prob- we're going to be corresponding with you throughout the week uh, via uh, at our administration, uh, Instagram, social media, um, email. But it's just very important that we understand that the policies and procedures are very important, and we have to follow them. Somebody say decency. Okay, the person that didn't say it, you don't like decency. Say it again. Say decency. And in order. order. We will come back to the house of God, but your safety is of the utmost importance. Before we move forward, next Sunday we open up, but I want to make sure that we just take the time, 10 seconds, to say thank you to each and every person that has served via media, via worship, Ministry of Helps, our children's, come on, Ministry of Helps, VIP, like even though you might be at home watching us, there are people that are literally giving their lives. They had no days off. Come on, let's honor them this morning. We say thank you this morning. We say thank you. We say thank you. Photography team, videography, the stuff that you see on the internet, our wonderful, amazing staff, The funny thing about it is that people think that since the church is supposed to be a nonprofit, that we're not supposed to profit anything. But the one thing that we profit is that there are people that literally give their life to this work. What you see me do here, yes, it takes its time, but in the same way that it takes me hours and days to do this, it takes them hours, days, weeks, months, minutes, seconds to be able to make sure the lights are on, to make sure that the screen is on, to make sure sometimes that I'm dressed correctly. Like, I want to make sure that you understand something. Nothing at this church happens on accident. We're not that type of church. We create leaders, we sustain leaders, and we multiply them. So we want to say thank you. That is extremely important that you know and that the world knows that it's not a one-man band. If anything, I lead Pastor Martin and Pastor Linnell. We lead from underneath and behind. We support and push people forward. Any leader that stands in front of the people and asks them to follow him is wrong. We must lead from behind. Somebody say lead from behind. So anyway, here we go. Part four? Is it part four? Or part three? Is it part four? Part three. I don't. Remember. I'm, I have like no recollection of time. So we're finishing this uh, this series today. And the reason why we started the series, um, Pastor Martin and myself were watching the news, and we read a lot of books, and we have a lot of mentor time. Because um, Pastor Martin wears many hats. There are moments where he's my dad. There are moments when he's my father. There are moments when he's my pastor, where he's my priest. But there's also the moment when he's like the head of my head of my life, right? So sometimes, um, so we just bought a house, and I say good morning to my beautiful, wonderful wife. Absolutely love you so much, um, Vanessa Williams. I said Ramos last week, so I apologize. No, I bought, no, I can't say I bought the cow. She's not a cow. I, I bought it. It's mine. I, I had, like, it's glory. Okay, so, um, but there will be times where, like, I bought a house, and, like, as a kid, you feel like, man, once I buy this house, it's mine. <laughs> not true. Because as soon as your father—if you have a father—if you have a dad—if you have a man in your life that is a father figure—as soon as they walk on the premises, it's no longer your home. Let let me teach you something. So I've been dealing with this grass issue um, at my house, and like our my grass is like trying to figure out what it wants to do. Anybody else? Any men love your yard and your grass is just like, nah, I'm just not gonna grow today, or I'm just gonna grow in the area that you don't want me to, which is. The driveway. Like why would grass grow abundantly in the cracks that I told you not anyway? You know what I'm talking about, right? But the grass where I want it to grow, it doesn't. And so Pops came to the house and he was like, he was like, Yeah, so the only way that you're gonna get that grass to to do what you want it to do, and I'm not gonna give you the secrets because when my grass looks luscious, I'm gonna be like, look what I did. I'm not gonna give him credit. So uh, he said you gotta do this and then whoop-whap, and then you gotta flip this over and do that. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, this is my house. But then dad looked at me and, and he looked at me and he says Well, who gave you the power to get the house? Like, you came up with this all by yourself? So that's not even a part of my sermon. I just thought that that was important to share. Because sometimes when people share stuff with you, it's not to hurt your feelings. It's to help your future. It's not to hurt your feelings. It will, and it might, but that's unimportant. It's about how bad do you want what you said that you want? How bad do you want it? Because if you want it, there's going to be pain associated. Look at your neighbor and say there's pain associated. Today we're gonna unbox this conversation of pain. We're gonna un- and for men, it is a concept that we have been told to deal with the wrong way since the genesis of time. We've been told not to cry. We've been told not to be emotional. We have been told that if you are emotional, then you're soft. Even today, what, what women call men that are sensitive, open and transparent with them, they call them simps. This word literally means simple. So now what we have taken is that the man that they say that they don't wanna date now, that they wanna marry later is simple. Okay, let me talk to my fellas. How many of you were the guy that she wants to marry, but not the guy that she wants to date? How many of you were ever in a conversation with a woman and she was like, oh my God, if I could just find a guy like you. And you're like, I am a guy like me. Like, what you trying to do, sis? Like, I've been hollering at you. I've been buying you breakfast. Like, I ain't even got the money for it in my lunch account. I buy you two milks. And when I was growing up, when we were growing up, we had Robert's 2% milk. It was fire. Chocolate, and it came in like the the tall cinder thing. And like, you would go to open the cartridge, and it wouldn't, and you would go like this, and it wouldn't work. So then you'd flip it around and try again on the opposite side. But there was too much glue on that side, so then you just ended up drinking out of a box. Like, beautiful milk, though. But, when, but the issue is that all of us men, we associate growth with pain, but we never associate healing with pain after it. So then we have these men that are extremely strong, but if you lift heavy weights forever, there's this thing called lactic acid that is a response to pain. So, when your body starts to hurt, your body produces lactic acid. Lactic acid basically goes, basically goes to that part of the body where your muscle's been working over. And what it does is it seizes up the muscle. So, it basically says, Stop moving this muscle or there's going to be a tear. But the one funny thing about lifting and getting your body right is that the most painful part of getting your body right is not lifting, it's not, eat, it's not eating, it's not tearing, it's stretching. Because now what you have done is you have told yourself, This part of me hurts. But I'm going to go through the pain to get to the other side. But a lot of us men, we don't go through the pain. We look at the pain, sit down, and play patty cake with it. We associate ourselves with the pain. We become relational with the pain. Like we literally mentally and physically make love to the pain and then we produce pain within everything else that we do. So there's pain in your house. There's pain in your finances. There's pain in your family. There's pain in the way that you see your your life. There's pain in your vision. And if we do not deal with this, like the significance of pain, you can't be on business because a lot of these people that are making money have lost two, three, four, five times as much as their original investment. But they associate their pain not with being hurt. They associate their pain with a place where weakness is leaving. So some of you have a man in your life, you have a son, a husband, a, a, a man that you divorced or that left you, regardless of whatever it is, if you know who that man is, it's going to be rough today, but I, I know it's going to set some men free. So are we ready? We ready? So story, opening, scripture, then we'll go. So uh, back home in, in Mississippi, uh, whenever we go to see my grandparents, me and my dad take like these walks And yes, I have a story for everything, and yes, they're all true. They can back me up. I wouldn't lie to you. Like I have to do this preaching thing for a while, so why would I lie to you at the beginning? That's stupid. Um, But we take these walks, and in Mississippi, when you're walking um, like down dirt roads, they're not called streets, like we say down the road, right? And they're like these different clumps of dirt as you're walking. Like there'll be red dirt here, there'll be soot here, there'll be gray dirt, and then like every once in a while you'll see a patch of black dirt. And um, I was talking to my dad when I was little, and, like, we were walking through the woods, and then all of a sudden, you go to, like, where, like, this open clearing is, and this is where my granddaddy had his uh, deer stand. And my granddaddy, like, he lives in a time where men were able to shake hands, and that was the deal. Like, that's where he comes from. Like, I'm going to take $10,000 from you, shake your hand, and by tomorrow at 10 o'clock, I'm paying you. And if I don't pay you by 10 o'clock, I'm paying you my own interest. I didn't have to sign a piece of paper or have three people breathing down my leg to be honorable. Now we have to have men that make other men be honorable when it's supposed to be their sole right. But that's another story for a different day that we're not ready for. So moving forward. So we're, we're walking down the, the road, and my dad starts talking to me about, like, hey, what what part of what you see do you think is the most expensive? And I answered, I was like, well, the, the road, because it takes men to, you know, make the cement and make the asphalt and to pour it down. And my dad was like, well, what's underneath the rock? And I was like, dirt. He's like, well, don't you think that that's more important? I was like, no, dirt is not important. It's, it's just dirt, like dirt. It's, look at your neighbor and say, it's just dirt. And he said, well, did you ever realize that dirt isn't everything? Just like how water isn't everything, dirt isn't everything. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, well, take your grandfather's house, for instance. How much do you think that the house is worth? I threw a number out. I was probably incorrect, or, but that wasn't the point that he was trying to get to. Sometimes when men are trying to teach you something, you can try to be so smart that you miss what they're trying to teach you another nugget conversation we're not ready for all right so um so I said what uh how how much is the house I answered wrong incorrectly probably then he said if I gave you the option would you rather own the house or the dirt underneath I'm a child the house what am I going to do with dirt and then he began to explain to me Joshua if you own the house you own the structure but if I own the dirt I own the land I own the water I own the electricity. I even own everything that you build on top of that. I own it all. So he says, instead of trying to be so important, instead of making um, buying a structure so important, buying a house, buying a car, right? Cause it's men, we love buying things. Cause it's like, look how big I am. I'm so awesome. Like we even catch fish that are big to show them to our friends and then throw them back. As if us catching the fish was this big thing. That fish has been there since the beginning of time. So what would happen if we ended up buying the structures that reproduce what we want? Yeah, the house is beautiful, but what if you owned the land? Because the Word of God says that the man that owns the cattle on a thousand hills isn't the wealthiest. It's the man that owns the hills. But we never talk about him. Can we talk about him? So here we go. My... my um, my, my topic for today is men in black. And I thought that what better way than to talk about it than to make it happen. Um, and no, Jason, you can't have my jacket. It's uh, made just for me. I know it's coming. Um, but somebody say men in black. So when you look at investments and when, when men look at their lives, we only think of things in black and white. Was it prosperous? If it wasn't prosperous, then it was dead. If I'm not happy, I'm upset. If you're not happy, that means I didn't do something right. Like we associate all the people around us, if they're good or if they're bad, we associate it with our level of of being a part of it. That's why so many times when you ask your husband, your boyfriend, your son, a simple question, he doesn't care about the fluff. He wants to get to making sure that the problem is solved. We want to solve the problem because then and only then will we know if we can take care of you. So a lot of men don't know that just by listening, I'm doing the same thing as fixing the problem. Because we want to associate how much pain do we have to go through. If if I can say that we went through two, three, four, five years of pain, then I can say, man, we have a great marriage. So if we don't have pain, we don't know how to associate our growth. Because if you're in the gym and you're lifting weights and there's no pain, what do you do? You say, oh, this is light. Let me put more weight on. Then when you get to the point where you blow your knee out or blow your back out, you're like, oh, man, I'm strong. But what if we were, were able to associate our strength with longevity rather than having to recover from injury? Okay, who's with me? Where are you at? I need, I need five of you. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, there we go. So let's open up our word. And it's interesting because what I'm about to read to you, it's only two verses, but God just literally began to, like, open up this, this conversation. It's going to take about 45 minutes. I got a couple of points, and then we're going to get out of here. Is that all right? Yeah. So here it is, men in black. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 9 through 10. So listen to this. It says, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Underline it. And his mother called his name Jabez, underline his mother called him, saying, because I bear you, underline this part, with pain, say with pain, because I bore you with pain and with sorrow, and Jabez called on God of Israel, saying, oh, that thou would, what, bless me indeed, underline that word indeed, it's going to make sense in a second, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand, God, that your hand might be with me and that thou would, wouldest keep me from evil. Underline that. That God, that you would keep me from evil. That it may not grieve me. And this is the interesting thing about this prayer. There's a book that sold like like millions of copies because the one thing that people love about this scripture isn't what Jabez asked for. It's that last sentence. And what does it say? And God granted him that which he requested. This is one of the only times in the Bible where literally you can read this entire stanza in one breath. A man is cursed, he has no life, he asks God for something specifically and God answers it just like that. In all the other books, it takes forever. For David to go through the time that he was born to the time that he died, it takes us seven books. Se- it takes him seven books. Basically, makes us understand that David's pain period. He didn't. It didn't take him seven sentences. It took him seven hundred pages. Like, come with me. Like, David had to experience this cycle of pain: doing it wrong, being redeemed; 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 doing it wrong, being redeemed. To the point of where, when he's in his deathbed, he's able. To, all he's able to do with his physical body is write songs. So I have to write songs about giving you glory because in my lifetime, I wasn't able to actually display it. Whereas Jabez is able to glorify God in two sentences, which kind of lets you understand that Jabez has this really interesting revelation and relationship with this word pain. He realizes that it's not something that happens to you. It's something that God allows to happen in your life so that you can use it as a tool. Let me break it down for you. So in Chronicles, right, when we're reading the book, and it's so interesting because the last five series, we've literally been walking out the the Israelites' trek from Egypt into freedom because they have the same relationship with pain. God, we need a leader. Deliver us from evil. Now we're freed. God's not enough. We get a new leader. God, this is a terrible leader. Deliver us from this leader. Now we want to be free. We'll worship you. God, you're not enough. God, give us another leader. And it's this this, this perpetual cycle that people are like, well, Christianity doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. We just haven't learned learned from the butt whooping. You know if your child understands discipline if they associate not the pain with doing right, if they associate the lesson with doing right. Because spanking you, thumping you on the head, or when me and Caleb were growing up in the butler house, putting (laughs) dial dishwasher soap on your tongue if that's all that I associate with doing right, then I've never got it. That means that when I see soap, I'm afraid. Not when I think of my morals and my values and how I, like, so, like, come with me. Don't wait for 45 minutes. If you guys say amen, I can move on. Okay, there we go. I think some of y'all are like, amen, move on. So in the book of Chronicles, there are three basic points. The first is like this. There is a break between First and Second Chronicles in our, in our Bible. But when you read the Jewish understanding of, of, of the book, it's it's one book. Because basically what Chronicles is, is it's everything that happens in the Bible in chronological order. So so many times when you're reading, how many of you guys have ever read the book of Chronicles? First or second? Like it just says such and such begets such and such, who was the son of such and such, who had the mother of such and such and such and such, and like you get annoyed by it because the first nine chapters is just who slept with who and had who, who slept with who, who had a baby, who ruled this, and then this, that, and the other. And you can become so frustrated with it because you're like, okay, where's the story? But if you know the names of the individuals, you know why they were in certain positions. This is why men, it is very important for you to know the genealogy of where you come from. Because if you can look at the lives of the men in your life, you can create a roadmap that allows you to steer yourself away from what might have taken them out. So if you get annoyed by reading Chronicles and reading the names, then you probably don't even want to look at your own life and look at your family history and deal with the junk there. Because if I can deal with what happened with my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and I can study each one of them and do statistical data, I know that once I invest in my own life, I won't put my money in the wrong place. So many times when we look at people that invest and they operate in the black, somebody say in the black, that's basically when you're prospering. So many times we believe that it's somebody that hit it large, that hit the lottery, or that randomly put $100,000 in random stock. But did you know that more than 75% of the money that is made on the stock market, the decision was made years ago? I've been watching these numbers for the last two and a half years for today. That's how people can make money in the epidemic that's happening right now. It's not that they're like, oh, Corona, let's make money. They knew something, there's a bubble, like something's about to pop. And once it pops, the value of what we want to buy is going to go down. So I'm going to, instead of putting my money in, I'm going to wait and buy a whole bunch of it because then once the market goes up, you're going to have to buy what I have. And I can set the price at anything. It's the same way with our families, men. You cannot invest in your life if you do not know the numbers of your past. It is impossible for me to be a great father just based off of the strength that I had a great father. Because somewhere down the line, one of the men in my family had to have missed the mark. And if I think that just having a great dad is enough for me to father my son, that means that what I am not planning for will cause pain in my life that I don't know how to deal with. Most men right now are dealing with pain in their lives. The only thing that you know is that it hurts, but you don't know how to fix it. It hurts you to not have the money to do what you want to do it with. It hurts you you have a child that's sick that you can't even take them to the hospital because you know the bill's going to come. Or you have a warrant out and you're arresting, like, I can't take this child to the doctor because then as soon as that happens, they're going to come. Like, like we, regardless of where you are as a man, we are all dealing with pain. But the question is, is how do we break it down? The second thing is this, is that Chronicles comes after Samuel and Kings in the, in, in the Bible. In the real version, Chronicles is the last book of the Bible because it literally tells the story of how everything happens. But the interesting thing about the book of Chronicles, the two books of Chronicles, is that we do not know who's wrote it. So many times when we begin to, like, read books of the Bible, we say, like, well, Paul wrote this one. And as soon as you hear Paul, people are like, oh, this is going to be great. Luke wrote this one. Oh, I know Luke. But then as soon as you don't have a reference of who wrote it, people, like, they, they say this information isn't real. So does that mean that as men that sometimes we do not take advice from people that we don't know just based off of the fact that we don't know them? Even if it's true, who are you to tell me that? I just want you to do better. I've been here. Like, I'm, like, what you're doing is literally replay of my life. Like, if you put my life on HBO and it had seasons, you're in season 12, episode 13, and episode 14 ain't it. So if you don't want my information, go ahead and live your life. But I've already, I've been here. I wrote the book, made a t-shirt, wrote a movie, and have a theme park. So like, if, like I am the Walt Disney of this situation that you're in. So if you don't want to listen to me, that's good for you. But don't come and ask me for the book later on once you've gone through it. That's what frustrates the men of AWC the most. Hey, son, do X, Y, and Z. Then you don't do X, Y, and Z and then come and ask them for help to get you out of the situation that they were trying to help you avoid. And then you get upset with them while they don't want to talk to you. Well, he's just stuck up. He just thinks that God is the only answer. He is, but he tried to help you before you got hurt. So now you're associating the pain that you inflicted on yourself with the words that came out of his mouth. Okay, so we can assume that this person that wrote Chronicles lived a couple hundred years after the Israelites returned from the Babylonian exile. Remember we talked about that, how God told them to build a temple, right? He tells them to build a temple. The children of Israel do not build the temple. So this man that's writing Chronicles is trying to remind them of where they come from. Because if God himself telling you to build a temple isn't enough, maybe I can tell you through this genealogy, through your history of why building it is so important. The next thing that we understand is that he spends the first nine chapters explaining the genealogy of the Old Testament. There's two different lines. Come on, say two lines. There is the Messianic king, which is King David. And then there's this priesthood of Aaron, who were those that worked in the temples. So it's very interesting that the writer of Chronicles, despite writing about all these other people, he only writes about two different categories, all of the kings of their time and all of the priests. Almost to say that as a man, you need to be both what? king and priest, which means that at the same time that you put the crown on your head and you make the rules in your house and you're the highest person in the house, you must also be a Levite and a priest, and at the same time that you are the highest, you have to be the lowest. Because the men that came out of Aaron's household were the Levites. They were the ones that were, the only thing that they were given was God's glory. They weren't given gold. They weren't given money. They weren't given anything. So that's why it's very important if you want to serve in church and you want to be a Levite and you say, God use me, God use me, God use me. Once he uses you, you can't be upset for him for using you. Because he said you're a Levite. And if you're a Levite, the only thing that I'm promising you is my glory. So that means that sometimes people get into situations for the glory for themselves but not God's glory. So Chronicles is this story of history so that once you look at these two books, there's this story in the middle in like six sentences, this story of Jabez. How do you go from telling all of these men that are great, ending with David, then talk about Aaron and all of his sons and all these Levites, but then the only person that you explain in great detail is this man named Jabez. It's probably because Jabez has something so simple in his life that they want us to see. Remember, when you watch the news, it's not what you want to see. It's what they want to tell you. I think the Bible's in the same way. Like, like yes, all of this is important, but I want you to but pinpoint this. So can we go there? So here's my first point. Write this down. Say, take the label off. So there's something really interesting about Jabez when we read this story. Um, he, he, he ends up being labeled by two different things. And I'm going I'm to explain them in detail. The first is that he is labeled by someone who was close to him. Men, sometimes you are labeled by something that is close to you. That someone, that is something that happened to you, that something that you did that was absolutely terrible, but like you've been, it was 20 years ago and people still associate you with what happened in 1976. So it doesn't matter how much you grow, how much you build. It's like, ah, but remember in 70, the the summer of 76. Yeah, I understand. I was there. I did it. But God redeemed me. Sometimes you can be so bound to the pain, and it's not you holding it and clutching it. It's people in your life trying to make sure that you never forget what God delivered you from. And as men, as men, I love you, my ladies, my female, I love y'all. But as men, you can destroy me by reminding me of how I hurt you. Because once I have got forgiveness from God, I've forgotten about it. And the only thing I remember about the incident is what is helping build me. Every time you remind me of what I did, you take me back to the mindset I was in when I did it. Okay, I'm trying to help set you free this morning. So, Jabez means pain and sorrow. His mother literally births him and says, You know what? (laughs) And some of y'all moms in the room are like, "Mm, I wish I could have. If I would have known Jabez, I would have put that right on the Jabez. Pain and sorrow. So, this basically means that he will cause pain in his life and that he will be the chaperone of pain. Meaning that he will, if he was driving Miss Daisy, I don't know if y'all watched that silly movie, like he would be Morgan Freeman and Miss Daisy would be pain and pain would tell him where to go. Like it would direct his every move, his every thought. Everything that he did would be based off of pain, which basically means that just like Morgan Freeman, like that was his car, but she told him where to go. Sir, you can have a life and be sitting in the passenger seat. You can be a passenger in your own life as men. And then people are like, why isn't he doing anything with his life? Because he doesn't even know how to drive. You just need to get up and get a job. And you think that it's so simple, but he's never been in the driver's seat. Would you give the steering wheel to to the baby that's in the room right now? Why not? Because they don't know how. And you wouldn't judge them by not knowing how. Somebody say, the chaperone of pain. I'm going to teach you today, because this is extremely important. This is going to set your son free. And the reason why I know is because this message is what I'm being taught every single day, and it helps me. It helps your pastor. It helps any man that you want the life of, they know how to categorize their pain. Look at your neighbor say, "Fight your battles.." So names basically foreshadow destiny at this point in time. So, it either did one of two things when you named a child in these, in these points in time. It either said something about the event of their birth, like how difficult it was, how easy it was, or where and when it happened. Like, if you, weren't, if you were bare for a long period of time and then you had a baby, you would name your baby a word that reflected God giving you revelation. But if you were in labor, for some women I heard um, that y'all can be in labor for like days. Lord, have mercy. So like Then you named your son Joy, and you're like, God, please give me Joy, because the birthing process wasn't. So they associate it, first of all, with what? They associate it with the event of the birth. The second thing that they associate it with is the destiny of the child. So they have the baby, and then once the baby is there, usually they would have had revelation from God, and God would tell them, name him Joshua. That's me. I'm just going to use myself as an example. Name him Joshua. like, Like what I said last week, what I'm doing right now, Pastor Martin saw it 30 years ago. He didn't see it in the act of being with my mother. He saw it before he saw my mother. Which means that before he made the investment, he already made the decision. It's something about the destiny. It's customary for someone to come up with their name. And this is what they understand. Write this down. they, They say, what you call something and how it turns out are connected. You just like your daddy, great job, mission accomplished. You're going to be a little heartbreaker, aren't you? Great job, mission accomplished. Man, you just, you saying, you don't know what's going on, do you? Great job, mission accomplished. So how many of our men are really ADHD and how many of them had something spoken over them that when the spirit of not being able to pay attention introduced itself, they associated it with their name and they said, well, I guess this is it. What you name him, like, you haven't even had the baby yet. You haven't even pushed this thing out. Some of you haven't even, like, there's no baby on the inside of you, but you've already named your child and told the world who he's going to be. Jabez, you are going to be pain. Not just pain, you're going to embody it, and you're going to chaperone, which means that you're going to take pain everywhere that you go. Men in black, I'm I'm coming back. Just give me me a second. Trust me. How many of y'all trust me? Okay, I only need two. God, thank, thank you, Dave. Oh, God. <laughs> the third thing that we understand about the names is that parents often express aspirations through the name of their child. So whenever in, in, when we end, and I was going to say black folks, but African folks, that's why every single child that, they, that you meet is named hope. Or glory. Or faith. Or blessing. It's because they're naming the child for what they are asking God for. So I'm connecting my blessing from God with the blessing that he gave me. So if I raise this child to the right moment, if I name her hope, she will give hope. If I name him blessing, he will give blessing. The second thing that we understand, so the first thing is what? He was labeled by somebody that was close to him. The second thing that we understand is that he was labeled by a condition that was not in his control. You named me pain, but I didn't ask to be here. Let me talk to you men. You didn't ask to be living paycheck to paycheck. You didn't ask to have six or seven babies out of wedlock. Like who, you know what, today I'm going to go see how many women I can get pregnant and take on the Maury show. All right, let's do it. So like, and if you do, you're a terrible, that's a terrible mindset and there's grace and hope for you. But here on earth, we got some brothers in the room that are like ready to jump you, right? And then pray for you later and deliver you. But no man, I don't think, consciously in their right mind, say their right mind looks at their life and says, exactly what I saw in the past that I don't want for myself, I just want a carbon copy and paste that in my life. So Jabez is not just named by somebody or something that's close to him. He's named by a situation that he wasn't even in control of. His mother bore him, say, with with, with sorrow. With sorrow. With sorrow. She she bore him with sorrow sorrow and there's a difference between being with something and being in it multiple times when i've been out like been, i was a dd when i was in college and everybody has those moments so if i ever tell you guys like my testimony you're like oh, how dare you tell me your testimony i'm gonna do the oh my oh, how dare like we all have lives we got stuff look at your neighbor say we all got dumb days we all got dumb days and there were times like where i'd be out and like i wouldn't be drinking but i was the dd and they would pay me a hundred dollars to stay with them for eight hours i'm a co- bet what you know how much ramen i can buy with a hundred dollars Chop up them Vienna sausages and put them in that thing and an egg and some hot sauce. You got a whole meal. Nobody else ate struggle meals. All right, I'll keep moving on. But there will be moments where, like, I would be out and people from church would be like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? And they got, like, a whole fifth of jack in their hand. And I'm saying to them, I'm like, I'm in here, but I'm not with them. Like, I'm in here, but I'm in here because they're paying me. You're in here because you're trying to get lit with the people that are here. There's a difference. Because the word of God says that you are in the world, but you're not with it. Like when you see us together, don't get it twisted. I'm just here. I'm not in relationship. So as men, we have to start to have this conversation that I might be in pain, but there's no relationship here. Like, I am in a season of being broke, but I'm not with broke. No, indeed. No, sir. Uh-uh. No. We are of no relation. As my granny would say, they ain't kin to me. I might be in an addictive state to this substance, to this alcohol, to pornography, to sleeping with men or women, regardless of what it is. I'm in it, but I'm not, wi- I'm not with it. Like, my spirit is not in relationship. So now Jabez has made, has had a decision made for him where he was born in sorrow, but his mom names him and now he has to live with pain. So instead of pain being his neighbor, pain now sleeps in the bed with him. Like, like, follow me. Instead of just living in confusion, confusion lives in him. Is this making any sense? His mother bore him with sorrow. There's a difference between with and in. Do you see that now? It's the second part. The custom was for the father to name the child. One thing that we can assume is that Jabez's father was not there. He was either dead. At that time, it was customary to have multiple wives and just figure it out. When you make it around, Papa was a rolling stone. Like, I don't know, wherever it was. He was either dead or not in the picture because his mother named him. At this point in time, the mother would birth the child, the father would take the child and name them because the father would not associate pain with naming the child. The father would comfort his wife because she's trying to recover. Lord, have mercy, y'all gonna get it. He would say, you need to rest. And the minute that the baby came out, the doctors, we do it wrong. Because the doctor takes the baby and cuts the umbilical cord. We even have fathers that aren't even in the room. Oh, that was too much for me then you shouldn't have i can 't wait to have children because i'm a listen y'all might have to find another pastor because my number one calling in life is to be a husband and my second calling is to be a father so i'm a husband and a father that will happen to be a pastor, not a pastor that not a pastor that happens to be married and possibly has... No, no, no. My first duty is going to be being a husband. And I absolutely... I've only been in this thing for a month and a half. And it's so lit. I love going home. Right? Love it. And there are gonna be times where I don't love it. But I got some men around me that are going to beat my behind and be like, go home. But the funny thing about it is that we can tell that there was no father in the picture because his father didn't name him. His father had no part of him being named. No anesthetic meant that recovery took longer for the mother, which meant that if you name this child, you're going to name it based off of the circumstance that you are in. So at this time, the only good children that were born were the moms that either had to be cut open or that their birthing process was easy. So they said, give the boy to the man. Give the boy to his father because he's going to name him out of prosperity, not out of pain. He's going to name him out of potential, not out of pain. He's going to name him out of who God has purposed him to be, not the pain that he is associating himself with. But something happens where now, men, we make decisions out of pain. I drove an old BMW, and this car, if y'all remember, it was beautiful on the outside, but that thing was hell. Drive it, and you'd hear me, like, down the street. And I started to realize, if I just spend a little bit and put it in the car now, I can buy the car that I want 10 years from now. But pain will associate me to do something with the money that I'm saving, something that I'm not supposed to. It's not that I need the car. It's not that I need the shoes. It's just it's the pain of you talking about my shoes. So I use my money to fix the pain in my life. But now I have something on my body or in my possession that I can't afford. And not just with money. I can't afford the mental capacity. I can't afford the pain associated with it. So we have men that instead of dealing with the pain in their lives, we buy stuff. You come to my house, look how big my TV is, okay? Okay. But can you make your rent? Right, right. I just took my wife on this amazing trip. That's, that's great. But can you pay for your children's college right now? Yes. Yes. Joshua, look how great my grass is. I spend $1,000 a month on my grass. So that's, that's, that's nice. That, that's great. But do you have at least a year's worth of your, of your living expenses and savings? That does not have a debit card. So that you can't take money out of that savings. And does it have uh, a withdrawal unit on it so that in order for you to take the money out of that bank account, Joshua, Vanessa has to sign it off and give it to you. Wait a minute, my wife is supposed to handle my money? Yes, indeed. Oh, some of y'all are like, no, I run the money. Hey, to every man, whoever is your, your house is, that is your domain. <laughs> The next part is that his father had to name the child because if you were to go nameless, it would allow the world to plan the destiny of the child. So if you didn't have a name, you are this thing called, mm, can't say that word. I'm not going to do it. Pastor Martin, one day when I'm lit like you, I'm going to go and you're going to be up in heaven and you won't be able to whoop me because you won't be here. Okay, so (laughs) if you don't have a name of a child, then you just name the child whatever you want. That's why sometimes, like, if you buy a dog, the dog has a name, and then you name him Lucky, but he's tearing everything up. It's not because he doesn't, asso- he doesn't associate with the name Lucky. What's the dog's name? They named him Bruiser. Well, that kind of makes sense now that I know the dog's name, because every time I say Lucky, he just take off. Because he doesn't know the name that you're giving him. Some of you men, the only name you know is Pain. You don't even know your name. You just hear something terrible happening. You're like, all right, shoot, I guess that was me. I guess that was my fault. I guess I messed up again. And if anything goes too right, you make situations worse so that you can associate it with pain. This is going way too good. Young ladies in our church that are dating really good men and then all of a sudden it turns and you're like, what the heck happened? It's because it was too right and he's never had anything that was right, which is you, young lady. So now he has to associate pain with it because it's like, the pain is the only thing I can control. So in order for our relationship to work in marriage, I have to hit you. Because if I hit you, that's the only way I can get my pain. I I have to lay hands on you because that's the only way I can get my pain out. I don't know how to associate it except through expression on other people. Because nobody ever taught me how to deal with my pain internally. can we talk? So the question is, what names us? If it's not somebody, it's one of three things. It's an incident that people are not allowing themselves to divorce you from. It is a mental cycle that we put ourselves through, men. I'm not going to watch pornography today. Then you watch, you go through guilt, and then you think that God doesn't deserve you. So then instead of stopping, you just keep going day and day. And that applies to drinking, smoking, spending money. It's this perpetual cycle that you keep putting yourself through. And then every time that you're up here on the altar, you're not able to move forward because every step that you take, you take three back. This is what we call addiction. Can we talk about it, men? The first is an incident, the second is a mental cycle, and the third thing that usually names us as men is a childhood experience that molded our thinking for the rest of our life in a moment. What happened in the basement? And any man that is sitting in this room that has never had that happen to you, I pray that God blesses you even more because you do not associate your pain with something, somebody touching you or saying something to you or taking you someplace or seeing something that you weren't supposed to see because now all that you know is what you saw. That's all I know. So how am I supposed to see women correctly when the first one that I saw was on a videotape? How? It's rough. I get it. But your boys are still growing. You can't wait to have the conversation at 5 because once they're 5, they're 15. And once they're 15, they're 25. And once they're 25, they're 50. And once they're 50, they're dead. What if we began to talk to our boys at the genesis of them and said, this is who you are. Someday when you're not with me, when I'm not with you, one of your friends is going to say, hey, look at this. I need to know that when that happens, how are you going to handle yourself? Not just hope that when it happens, you come and talk to me. No, no, no. When it happens. Say when. Not if. When. When it happens, you come to me. Are there any men in the room that you have given that quota to your son or to other men? If it ever, ha- come to me. Don't call the police. Don't call your wife. Call me. Because I'm going to help cover you and I'm going to help you cut this pain in pieces that you can consume rather than to consume you. There's the Holy Spirit on this thing today. The Holy Spirit is on this thing. And it's so easy for me to preach it, but I'm, I'm going to teach this thing. The second point is this. Say double down. So once, can you throw the scripture up? Thank you. So there you, I love y'all. That's so awesome. People that are, they have the capacity and you're teaching with me because it was already up there before I said it. Thank you so much. Who was that today? Who was that? Is that Miss Sophia? Who was that? I love you so much, sweetheart. Thank you so much. We're teaching together. It's so lit. Tag team. All right, you go and I'll sit and you can teach. Okay. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren and his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him with sorrow. Next verse. Then it says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel, which means that at that time, there were other gods. But Jabez knew if I'm going to call on a God, I need to be specific. I can't just say, oh, God, help me. I have to say, oh, God, the God of my father, come and help me. Because I have to call on a God that has association with who I am before I was here. So I can't ask Allah for help because my dad didn't have me in Allah's name, My mother had me in Jesus' name. So what do I look like calling on Buddha when I was conceived with Jesus? Which means that you shouldn't be looking at your pain because you weren't conceived with pain, young man. You were conceived with love. And even if you were conceived and your mother was taking advantage of, even if you were conceived and you have no notion of who your parents are, I can promise you that it's still love. Because God said before you were even in the womb, I knew you. And in the Hebrew, that word literally means to love, to betroth, to literally cut off a piece of myself and give it away. So regardless of what situation that you are living in, you are never associated with pain. We do it. So he knows the God. It says in the Hebrew that he literally cries out in anguish or overwhelmed pain. Jabez calls calls from, from inside pain, but not with it. Like, God, I'm in this moment of pain, but like, I don't come to you with pain. My mom used to hate this thing, like when I would come to her with my little friends and ask if I could like spend the night at such and such house with them with me. So you want to go ask to sleep in that man's house with their son here, thinking I ain't going to act crazy and pop both of y'all for being so disrespectful? I think God does the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall, what? Not die. They will perish, but they will have everlasting life. God didn't die for your pain. He died for you. So when every time you go and you ask God for something and you bring pray, pain into your prayer closet, God said that I only have dinner for one. Who is this? Well, God, this is my pain. This is my history. I don't care about that. I didn't die for that. I died for you. You want to know a reason why she's not interested? You can go on so many dates, it doesn't work. Is because when you go to dinner with her, you're bringing lust with you. You're bringing broke with you. She's, she has her own job. She has her own car. She has her own apartment. And you want to come and ask if you can go half on dinner? You're bringing broke with you to dinner. Why would I want to date you when you are already in a relationship with not having any money? Why? And then we come back to the church and say, all these women are fast. No, all of our men are broken. They're broken. Because they're not in relationship with themselves. They're in relationship with what happened to them. So it's not just, hey, this is my friend Josh. Like, no, this is my friend Josh and his pain. Because we don't know how to deal with it. Somebody say double down the NIV says, bless me and enlarge my coast. So the word says what? Bless me indeed, which virtually means in the word, I mean, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, the word indeed is Barack. Barack Obama, but Barack. That's a, no, no, that's just a pun. It just worked. It just came. Doesn't mean anything. No affiliation with this whack judicial system ain't going, anyway. So like, Barak. It means indeed. So basically what Jabez says is like, I'm calling to you from inside of pain, but God, what I want you to do is I want you to bless me. And then on top of the moment, while you're blessing me, bless me again. But the NIV takes the indeed out and they say, bless me and enlarge my territory to make it seem as if Jabez is yelling at God, God, you're going to bless me and give me some land. No, no, no. Jabez says this, God, I want you to bless me. And the same time that you're blessing me, I want you to bless me at the same time. The only reason why men in Hebrew culture would ask for a double portion or ask for, ask for a blessing is if they had a succession plan afterwards. So that means that as Jabez is asking God to bless him, this is so good. He already is married in his mind. He already has children in his soul and he already has businesses that he's going to do with the land with it. So when he says, God, bless me, bless me, we take out the word indeed because it makes us uncomfortable. Sir, I want to make sure that you never become uncomfortable with asking for everything that you want. I want 17,000 square feet in a house. If you have people in your friend group that think that that's too much, cut them off without communication. My wife should be able to take... My wife should be able to take a six-month sabbatical twice a year. Not concurrently, one after the other. Why? Because I understand something. If Jabez can call from pain and get his question answered, how much more are we as free men to ask God? God, bless me and bless me again as you bless me. And as you're blessing me, bless me again. And as you're blessing me again, I need another like giant like bowl so you can take the blessing from last week in here. So then it becomes this thing where I become a supply rather than just being by myself. He says, bless me indeed. Say indeed. Indeed. Bless me, bless me. That's why when we sing that song, everything go double double. Oh, you're like, oh, instead of giving me one dollar, give me two. If you double a dollar, you get four. If you double it again, you get sixteen. Because it's not four and eight, it's four times four. That's double in the Hebrew. So if you give me a hundred cattle, double it. You have to have a thousand. So Jabez is asking God and demanding of him, God, bless me. But there's another thing that he understands if he blesses me. He says what? Bless me and enlarge my coast. So what he basically says is this. If you're going to give me what I'm asking for, you're going to have to give me some place to put it. God, if you're going to bless me double, you've got to give me this thing called land where I can put it. Which basically means that the blessing is not as important as the dirt that it's on. So in order to become a man in black, it's not about the blessing. It's not, God, give me the house and the, and the, and the money and all the cows on the, on the thousand hills. God, no, give me the dirt. I want to be a man in dirt. Instead of just blessing me, I want you to plant me in the soil. So a man in prosperity isn't operating in the black. It's operating in black soil. God plants me in you. The blessings are great. I already know I'm going to be taken care of. I'm tight. I'm straight. I got two blessings coming on the way. But if I get these blessings and you don't give me any land, I have nothing to plant it in. Because blessing in the Hebrew, if you bought land, the blessing that they gave you wasn't a house. The blessing that they gave you that was double was a seed. Because a seed is the only thing that reproduces after itself in the ground. Which means, sir, your plan is not a plan of prosperity if it does not reproduce after itself. If any of your ideas are get rich quick, it's not from the hand of God. Unless it's get rich quick, take your money, reinvest, get rich quick again, take your money, do it again. Like these schemes are schemes because not because people are lying to you. It's because they're working outside of the kingdom of God. God doesn't bless you without providing you with the necessary things to maintain it. Sir, if you have a plan, it has to have three different things. Because if you don't have these three different things with your plan, your plan will give you pain. That's why you can have all these dreams and these ideas as a man and like you say, next summer we're going to Disney World. And you've been saying that for 10 years and your kids don't trust you anymore. Because the proof of your plan isn't in the savings account. The proof of your plan is when they come back with the Mickey Mouse ears. You have to have three things. You have to have people to help and assist you. You must have an environment that helps you grow. And you have to have safety so that you can mess up in the privacy of other people that love you. A man that is not able to fail without having his head cracked open every time that he fails will never build anything sustainable. Because now he will only associate everything failing with the pain that follows it. But what if we started to rear our young boys and our men and our old men's failures not with pain but with love and reassurance hey you mess up I did yeah that's great let's get back on the bike what if we used that what if we used that thought process with everything with our boys if your son falls off the bike the first time just throw the bike away you'll never ride a bike ever again somebody say point number three you have to know your currency there are three basic ways that we, are under, we understand wealth in the Bible. And Jabez asked for all three of them. We don't know how old he is, right? We don't have any like, we don't have any reference of how old he is or where he comes from. But one thing that we know is that there are three ways that you understood if a man was wealthy. The first was how many sons he bore, because that basically told you that ten, you keep your sons, you give your daughters away. It's backwards. Leave to cleave was for the wife, not the son, because the son, You're only as good, dad, as I am able to make you. So if you had 10 boys, if you were Jesse and you had the gang of boys, they're like, man, this man fitting to be wealthy. Because it was built in the culture that whatever the men made in their own business, they brought it back to the storehouse for the father to manage. The second way that you knew that a man was wealthy, by who his daughter married. Because in order for you to marry my daughter, you had to pay, if I had a daughter and you wanted to marry her, you had to pay me the price it took to raise her how many of y'all are ready to get married the way that you prove to me that you want my daughter is that you have to pay me for her uh, for her degree yeah, yeah. and all the hamburger helper and all the happy meals with interest because when she turned 18 I don't know what happened <laughs> I'm kidding. you knew a man was wealthy by how many sons he had who his daughter married or how much land that he owned so jabez says god you're not just going to bless me. You got to give me some land. Because to have a whole bunch of stuff but nowhere to put it, I'm still broke. So we have these men in this world that are rich poor. You look like you got all the bread in the world, but if I ever ask to see your financial portfolio, you'll weep. No, nah, no, nah, fam. But keep but they clean, ain't they look at the, they clean. They clean, ain't they? No, let let me see your 401k. They clean, ain't they? Let's go to your house. They clean, ain't they? Somebody say, know your currency. A man took care of his family by positioning his possessions to his family. The way in which he succeeded wasn't by building a giant enterprise. The way in which he succeeded was by building an enterprise, giving pieces of it to his family, and watching them operate in it before he died. There was no such thing as a will because they thought, I need to pass this on while I can still teach them. So now we also have men that associate pain with being unprepared because your father passed away and gave you responsibilities for some things that you were never trained on how to handle. He always told you to be a husband, but he never taught you how to. So now you got this wife and you're like, I don't know what to do. So now your pain is associated with not being able to handle the situations in your life. And I don't know about any of the women in here, but one of the most, most, like, terrible, most destructive things that your man can feel is out of control. Because I'm built with control. God told me to have dominion. So if I don't even have dominion, how am I supposed to be happy? I have no control. Anybody ever been there before? Like, I, I can't control what's happening. It's like life is happening to me, not for me. skip a point. Next point, number five, say see no evil. Scripture by scripture. He asked God to enlarge his territory, but then what does he say? He says that you would keep your hand on me and that you wouldn't, that you would keep me from evil. Say keep me from evil. It's very interesting that he doesn't say keep evil away from me. Jabez understands something. If, If I'm a man for the rest of my life, sin is going to chase me. So you're never going to be able to keep man away from sin. Your boys, sin is going to chase them. So instead of trying to teach them to run away from sin, teach them how to keep sin away from them. God will always provide an escape. But if you can't read, you'll see escape. That's why men can see what they're supposed to do, but they, they, they can't read. So they're like, excite, excite. Living in a bad situation, excite, exity, Excite. hooked on phonics, exi, sound it out, Joshua, It. exciting, oh, that's exciting, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. So we have men in our lives where you can give them what they need, and they don't know what to do with it because they can't read it. So I'm giving you the plans to run your life, but I can't read, so this is just chicken scratch on a paper. That's why it's so important for every man to have a man in his life that doesn't teach him from a book, but teaches him from his experience. I'm not going to teach you how to be a man by just reading the word. Let's put the word down. Well, you're saying the word isn't important. No, no. Even in the Jewish custom, they only read the Torah for two hours at the beginning of the day. The rest of the day was walking with your mentor, exemplifying what you read. So if the only way that we lead our men is with the word of God alone, it's not saying that it's sufficient because there are some men that they've eaten this thing alive. But for some of us, we don't just learn by sitting in a classroom. Take me to where the dirt is. Take me. Let me smash my finger with a hammer. Because then if I have pain experiences with another man that's been through pain, he'll help me not associate and make friends with it. He'll teach me how to deal with it. If you go through these moments in your life, man, in pain by yourself, you're going to make friends with it because it's the only thing there. But what would happen if our men started walking through their lives with other men? So that way when they stub their toe, they say, uh-uh, keep moving. Don't worry about that. Keep moving. Like the next time that they get a cut on their arm, just rub some dirt in it and keep moving. But if you're out there by yourself, you'll be, you'll be spending more time trying to take care of the wound than killing what hurts you. Instead of associating your pain with having to take care of yourself, now I associate my pain with there's something out there that's trying to kill me, so I need to kill it first. Or my man, I need you to grunt just one time. Okay, okay, all right, y'all alive. See no evil. Why didn't Jabez ask God to keep evil away from him? We are inherently drawn to things that are evil. Sin is in our nature because we were born In sin, but we make the decision if we want to lay with it. Every man has something in their life. Every one of us has something in our life that's a vice. Some of us, it's not as crazy or as negative as drinking or smoking or, or other things. Some of us, it's, it's, it's white lies. Like, you just don't even know how to tell the truth. So you just tell a lie that tells another lie it tells another lie. And In order to tell the truth, you got to tell another lie before you get to the truth, right? Like, for all of us, we have something. So we are born in sin. But when Jesus died, what he did is he took sin out of you and he threw it away. Therefore, you can't be in relationship with it. Yeah. The one way that men get back to addiction is when we go and search out what we, what we want on the inside. Sometimes addictions aren't just coming from generational curses. Sometimes we generate them as men because we don't want to deal with our pain. So instead of dealing with our pain, we put addiction in its place. We put lying in its place. We put cheating in its place. And people say, you're a cheater. I don't really think that there's any man that really is clear in his mind that sees cheating as a good way of dealing with relationships. It might be because of the fact that he has so much pain associated with being faithful. Have you ever thought about that? Here's the last part. Y'all falling asleep. Let me just, let me get out of here. Last point. Somebody say, say your name. Amen. So let's look at the word Jabez. This is my last point. We're going to get out of here. Has this been good? We all right? Let's look at the word Jabez. In the Hebrew, the first letter of the name is what they call the dominant letter. She spells J-bez, Jabez J A B E Z. J in the Hebrew is a letter that is associated with femininity. Hear me, like hear me, hear my heart, hear my heart, not what's coming out of my mouth. Hear my heart. J, just like when you're in when you like in Spanish L A A right, and then you have like you have all of these different pronouns so that they know if you're talking to a man, señor, señorita, they're different. It's not to say that the man is better than the woman, but whatever. The same thing happens in Hebrew. So J is Jabez. But the original writing of Jabez's name is with a Y. And if you connect it as the dominant in the beginning, it doesn't translate as, Yah, as Jabez. It translates as Yabez and is directly connected to Yahweh. So when you're reading of the genealogy, remember that part that we were reading about? All of those people, they get to King David. And remember, we love King David, but we never talk about how terrible of a person he was. Isn't it interesting that out of that lineage of kings, and you end on David, everybody thinks that David is God's favorite. He says, a man of my own heart. The genealogy has seven sentences about a man named Jabez. Almost to say that his name isn't Jabez to be born with pain. But his name is Jabez with a Y, the deliverer of pain. So Jabez's mother, when she's looking at him, is not associating him with the pain that she bore him in. She is associating him with the pain that he is going to deliver people from. Like, so she didn't look at him and say, because I bore you with pain. You're going to bring sorrow. Remember, what was the definition? The chaperone of pain. Jabez literally means to be like the Pied Piper of pain in people's lives. So when Jabez asks God to bless him doubly, what he's asking him for is, God, give me provision so that I can walk into other men's life and take the pain out. And trade it for the blessing that you gave me. You've already given me more than enough. So the one way that I become a better man is by giving men, breaking them off a piece of the blessing that you gave me. And then since you enlarged my coast, Yahweh did what? He gave us dominion over earth. So he didn't just save us with blessing. He gave us rulership and dominion. So why would Jabez ask for blessing to give them the ability to buy things and also ask for more land? So that way when I'm in your life and I experience pain in your life, I can give you some blessing, but then I can build you a house on land that I own. So Jabez's name is not associated with pain. It's not, it is not pain, but Jabez is Yabez. I literally deliver people from pain because my life was born in it. Literally what it means is that she literally switches his story, meaning that you're not going to be walking towards pain at the end of your life. What she basically says is I'm going to name you Yabez because right now is the most pain that you are ever going to experience. Literally meaning that Jabez, as you begin to live your life, every day that you take away from the day that you were born, you're walking further and further away from what pained you. Sir, whatever your name was, I want to make sure that you understand that you were bought with a price. And when you were bought with a price, your name changed. You're not a man in bl- you're not a man in pain, you're a man in black. God literally took you rubbed you down, took care of you, refurbished you, and then planted you back in the soil so that you could produce after your own kind. So Jabez is not pain incarnate. Jabez becomes the pied piper of pain in other men's lives. God, if you bless me twice, I can walk into a man's life and look at the pain in his life, rip the pain out, and give him some of the blessing that you gave me that's overflow. Then once I've done that, I can take him and put him on land that I own, and I can make other men in black. Men in black soil. Let me wrap this up really quick. His mother literally reverses the curse that is on his life. This day of your circumcision will be the greatest pain you will ever endure. What would happen with the boys is this, when they would have boys in the Hebrew custom back then, they would have the baby and they would take eight days to literally watch the baby like day and night because the mother was in pain the men in the community would watch the boy for eight days and on the eighth day what did Jesus what did God do in the word of God we say it's seven but it's actually eight because there was there was nothing before he was there which means there was there was nighttime and that's how you know when the day has ended at nighttime so on the eighth day seventh day right God rested it's, it's too much God rested so once the baby is born, mom needs to rest. It's not time to work anymore. You've done your job. You've cultivated the seed and given me what I've given. Once the baby comes out, the men of the village say, it's our turn. So for eight days, they watch the baby and they begin to like literally like figure out, okay, what do we name this child? Well, he keeps trying to pull himself up. Okay, we're going to name him Samson. This baby sleeps a lot, and then when he wakes up, he just starts talking really, really loud. Oh, sounds like he's interpreting dreams. Let's, let's, let's name him uh, Joseph. Oh, this baby, like, you can kind of sing a little bit. He can blow a little bit. Oh, let's name him David, the writer and the bearer of songs. So we begin to associate the name, not with the pain of the birth or the pain of the circumcision, but we begin to name our boys based off of their destiny. Sir, there's somebody that's watching online or in this room right now, that you have associated your life with pain and today is the last day. Today, I think God wants to give you this opportunity to change your name. And instead of walking towards pain, he's gonna give you this ability to walk from it. If you're gonna be a man in black, if you're gonna be a part of the mob, men on business, you can't do business and be crying at the dinner table. You can't, do be, you can't be doing business on the golf course and tearing up and snot, these men are gonna be like, "Hey, wait a minute! Did we come here to break bread, or we we deal with mama issues? Like, we gotta what, what's going on? I got a million dollar check in my pocket, but if you're crying, I don't know if this is it, bro. If we begin to deal with our pain and to realize that we didn't cause it, but that we're here to end it, we can begin to change people's lives."